You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Mike Matheny is one of more than a dozen former catchers to serve as current Major League Baseball managers. Historically, more than 20% of all managers have a catching background. Matheny played 13 years in the Major Leagues with four different teams. Six years after his career finished with the San Francisco Giants, he was hired as a manager with the St. Louis Cardinals in 2012. He had no previous managerial experience, but that didn't keep him from being successful right from the start. In his first season, the Cardinals won the wild card and lost to the National League Championship Series. The next year, the Cardinals won the first of three straight NL Central titles and reached the World Series. In seven seasons with St. Louis, he never had a losing season. He's managed the Kansas City Royals the last two seasons as the rebuilding club is showing signs of promise in the very near future. Mike, welcome to Sports Connection. Thanks, David. You said, I want to just jump right into it. You said many times during the pregame press conferences this season that this was your most fun club to be around. Why is that the case? I think when you show up with a a group of guys, one, who are talented, and two, uh, commit to getting better every day. And uh, they had a a passion, a fight. And I think anybody that followed our club on a consistent basis um, saw that that was obvious how hard these guys would compete right down until the very last out. And you would think that that's, uh, that's common, uh, but it, it really isn't. And to, to see the mix of youth um, as well as uh, the great veteran leadership we had this year, see special things happen like what Salvi did. Um, but part of what Salvi did that made it so special is how much he invested into other people. It wasn't just about him chasing records. Uh, it was about winning. And uh, a team like that is always a fun team to be around. <laughs> Have you always been able to have fun in baseball, either as a player or as a manager? Yeah, and I'm not going to answer this question properly um, because anybody (laughs) that has anything to do with the game of baseball should be having fun. And if you don't, um, it'd be argued that you should probably go do something else. But um, I I have to tell you, it it was certainly a a major struggle for me as a player. Um, And I had a number of teammates, some very good teammates that that were convinced that if I was – somehow able to have more fun, I may have been a better player. I would have, I would have countered that and said, if I, if I went about the game trying to have fun, I probably wouldn't have been able to stick around for 13 seasons. So I really don't know what the right answer is. I'm always envious of players like Salvi, who you just see the joy they have when they play. I want, and, and it's very hypocritical, very hypocritical in the fact that I'm always trying to teach and encourage our players to have fun. I think it, no matter what you do, if you can have a, a degree of fun in that in that job or whatever it is that you do, you're going to have a better chance of success. Now, um, I just felt like I was never a good enough player uh, to worry about fun. The fun that I had was dragging my tired self off the field, knowing I left nothing in the tank, um, committed completely to, to uh, doing my part for the team. So that was how I defined fun. Um, but I, I'm always encouraging my coaching staff, encouraging our players, um, help me. Um, it's not one of my strong suits, but we need to have fun around here. Let's figure out how to do it. Because from, from a distance, you know, when, when you were managing the Cardinals, I rooted against you. Just, you know, I'm from Kansas City, so of course I rooted against you. But it looked like you were about as, as stern and as serious a manager as possible. But my interaction with you is that you're, you're a fun-loving guy and, and 
you know, I've really enjoyed the two years. So have you changed? Have you been able to embrace the fun a little bit more this time around? In fact, I'm, I'm trying, David, and I appreciate you saying that. It, but it's it's still interesting. I even had Pedro Grafol. He came over one day and goes, yeah, he goes, these, uh, these coaches on the other side, all they see is your stern, locked-in face, and they're, and they're always uh, commenting on um, – how it must be tough to, to be around a guy that's like that all the time. And, and he was the first one. So you don't understand this guy has fun. He's funny and you get to see his personality. You know, it's interesting, David, because I was always taught uh, to respect the game, respect the opponent. And that always meant to me, if, if, if I was letting some emotion, say we're winning and, and I'm over there goofing around and all they see is some smiling fool on the other side that can sometimes um, poke the bear a little bit or, or kick the sleeping dog. And that's not something that I think is a, a great way of going about it. I want to respect how we're going about it. I also want to uh, be very consistent for our guys. So we have fun inside the clubhouse. And I think maybe through the interactions we were able to have on our zoom calls with the media, I uh, felt like we were able to, I was able to do that maybe more than ever before just to try and be myself, not to be anything phony. Um, but I, I think it's just so ingrained after, I guess it's coming up on 30 years in professional baseball at some degree. Um, that's how I felt uh, we're supposed to go about it. And I think it's probably um, near impossible to completely unwind all that, but I am having fun. I'm having more fun. Uh, probably I can say it once again, it doesn't sound right, but managing I've enjoyed and had more fun than I was able to do and allow myself to have even as a player. You know, I've got friends in St. Louis who said the popular opinion regarding your departure with the Cardinals was based on your two things, your aversion to analytics and your loyalty to veterans at the expense of young players. Yet the two seasons in Kansas city have shown exactly the opposite in both cases. First of all, was that a fair criticism in St. Louis? You know, it's, it's probably not even worth the uh, effort to ever try and defend yourself. Uh, people are going to have the opinions that they're going to have I always felt that it was just my responsibility um, to get better, um, to, to ask those serious questions. And so uh, as I departed from there, and I was grateful for, for every day I had, um, but it, it was time. Um, but I made sure that I wanted to, to learn the lessons that I needed to learn. And uh, the people that are, are, are uh, there every day, the people who are watching up close, and I have some, some, uh, some truth tellers in my life uh, and give them the freedom, right? Give me some feedback. What of this is valid? Um, what do I need to do to get better? And those are areas that I'll tell you I'll, I'll need to get better in no matter how good, even if it were a strength, let alone a weakness. Uh, those are things that you're going to have to keep adapting with. You're going to have to understand that the analytics are always going to be evolving and the importance and where's it going next. I mean, it's, it's something that you have to keep your ear to the ground with. Um, I was never um, intentionally ever uh, opposed. A matter of fact, I I probably uh, look at the information as much as any manager out there. Um, but uh, as far as the veteran players go and, and the young players, most of that is, is usually a collective decision. It's, it's not a dictatorship around here. And uh, we put together what, uh, what we believe is the best chance. Uh, we incorporate a very, and I, and I love that about uh, the Kansas City Royals, the talent and the experience and the expertise we have in our front office combined with us very very impressive analytics group, um, then combined with the experience of the coaching staff. And so my job is to be a voice, uh, the voice of the collective group, not one person's idea. 
um, full, full well knowing that um, the uh, repercussions should come back on somebody. That's part of leadership. And you got to be able to take that and understand that uh, you're not going to be able to please everybody. But um, in the end, I feel like I've improved um, and I still continue every, not just at the end of every season. I, I don't think there's like a 360 feedback session at the end of a season. I think it should happen. Uh, constantly and uh, okay what did I miss that series or what did I miss that game how can I get better and so there's not these major overhauls they're just incremental improvements so I was going to ask you do you feel like you're a better manager in October of 2021 than you were in October of 2014 or 2016 you you feel that you're better and if so how yeah I mean if I'm not I shame on me and um Dayton Moore should be running me out of town. J.J. Piccolo and Mr. John Sherman. Uh, if we're all not getting better, that's uh, one of the things I love most about this organization. It's a, it's a growing organization. It's a, a learning organization. So I, I, I'll i take it you know, shorter term than that. I, I should have improved since the season's end and watching the playoffs and what am I seeing? How am I uh, adjusting my thought process or what might I think about this particular situation? I mean, I... I think it's such a, a, a big question. It comes down to what I believe is kind of a mindset, is a, a growth mindset that's always looking to get better. And if so, I believe you're going to improve in everything you do. Do you enjoy dealing with the media? Uh, and I will, I will start it with your predecessor didn't. <laughs> we, used to, we used to have an expression in the media, uh, did you get yosted? And I, I love Ned. I, he, he's, I consider him a, a friend. Um, but in those brief sessions that, you know, you haven't been able to experience it yet with the, with the Royals, but those sessions in the dugout before the game, when you can say, Ned, it's a beautiful blue sky out there. He'd say, no, it isn't. It's a blue sky and it's beautiful. You know, and, and every one of us got yosted at one point or another. And then he'd finish up and you'd say, man, he's in a really bad mood. And then he, he pat you on the back and head out to the field with a big smile on his face. Do you, do you enjoy the interaction with the media? Um, you know, I, I understand that um, many uh, people in this position, um, they get defensive uh, only because they've been burnt or, or they've been attacked or, or bit, um, you know, once bitten, twice shy. So that, that happens. Uh, I made a commitment when I came here. I was just looking forward to the opportunity and, um, getting to know people, uh, getting to, to be a part of the community, and a part of being a part of the community and getting to know people is to use the conduit that we've been given, and that is our, our media outlets. And um, I've been very impressed, and I've, I have actually enjoyed it. I can't always say that's the truth, um, but I've enjoyed the interactions that we've had. And, you know, I think all you ask um, from people in my position, uh, or whether it be from Dayton's position or from J.J. Piccolo, is... Uh, we just we just want uh, the benefit of the doubt when something doesn't look quite right, and and to be fair, and if that happens, you know, you, I realize every single decision uh, that gets made. There's probably fifty percent of the, the people watching, and that might be giving myself too much credit there, but I would say fifty percent agree, fifty disagree, and that's uh, I think very generous. Um, but the, there's going to be and people invest so much into this. I mean, they invest their life, they invest their time, they invest their, their resources uh, to be a part of this game. So there's uh, it's, it's more than just a, a I don't know a recreational 
uh, watch. It, it's something that they brought into heart and soul. So with that comes emotions and with that comes opinions and with that comes anger at times. And hopefully there comes some joy. And uh, I, I just believe that the better um, I can relate uh, with our media people, uh, the better we can inform uh, or, or at, le at, le at least let the, uh, the watching fans and the fans are the heartbeat of what we do. If we don't have the fan base support that we have, um, it just doesn't work. So how can we do that? And uh, I've enjoyed it. Uh, should have given you that just short answer right from the beginning because it's so far it's been it's been great uh, we're just asking questions not always um are the questions that i want to answer but i get it and i understand you all have a job to do it's interesting interesting that there's two things that i appreciate one is if we do ask a question that is somewhat critical is you respond to it in kind you 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 do not get defensive you say well here's what i was thinking um, but bigger than that, um, one, the thing I appreciate the most is when you respond to a question, you mention the name of the person asking the question. How long have you done that and where did that practice come from? I think that could probably be done better. Um, and I think I've done it better now that we've been doing these on Zoom calls. Um, face to face, it probably wouldn't seem as natural. I, I think when you get into the, uh, the Zoom calls, you just want to make sure everybody knows who that, that I know who asked the question. Um, but I also think it's very important uh, to know people's names and uh, to always uh, be communicating with people. What's one of the ways you can show them respect right out of the gate. I'm constantly trying to teach the guys that as well as, you know, are there any tricks that we can uh, learn? Uh, and I, I, I take pride in it, but I, I still need to be better. Um, there's, there's just something about, as you said, uh, having, Having uh, somebody know your name when you're into a conversation, when there's a large group, it just it carries a lot of weight. And I've been on the receiving end of that, and so that's kind of influenced why I feel it should be going on on uh, my side. Yeah, it, it's to me, it's a sign of respect. And and I, as a member of the media, I know I appreciate it when I ask you a question and you say, "Well, David, this," and so um, because it means it says to me that you respect what I'm doing. Like I respect what you're doing. Um, I want to. Well, before you go on to the next one, I, I just wanted to tell you, um, I I have also witnessed uh, Dave Moore do this, and I'm sure you've experienced it as well. And yeah. it, it did stand out to me, and so I would say that that's probably part of the answer as well. A lot was a lot was made when you were signed or when you signed a contract. I don't remember the exact terminology, but when you came to the Royals. And you went through a year's process of morphing, whether it was your managerial skills, your evaluation skills, your people skill, all of those things. Talk about that year, years plus process and how that helped you. Well, part of it was uh, uh, some of the feedback that I did get and uh, trying to be an honest evaluator and you, you mentioned the analytics. And so um, how can I, if I wasn't a, Simplifying it, how can I uh, better uh, myself in the, in the analytics world? How can I learn more? How can I be more in tune? Um, so then I can apply it, not, not just for public perception uh, or industry perception, uh, as much as how can I use what's out there for the betterment of our team and the betterment of our players. And so I jumped in and did some uh, studies. And one of them was a, uh, an analytics course that I took. Um, the other, uh, I was working towards my master's in leadership development. I just, uh, I'm passionate about that. I, I believe as much as this is a baseball position, it's a leadership position. 
Um, and uh, just always trying to, to figure out once again, where, where are some of my blind spots? And the best part about that year, David, was really the fact that uh, Dayton and uh, Mr. Sherman, at the time it was actually Mr. Glass, allowed me to be a part of the organization and to understand uh, the people inside the organization and to try and get a picture of what the culture is. You can't come into an organization like this and say it's your responsibility uh, to carry the banner of what the culture is. You just have to put your antenna up and see what what is this organization all about. Uh, and and culture is all about people. So it's basically getting to know the people. Uh, a lot of the minor league guys, yes. A lot of the coaches and staff and front office people, yes. But just trying to, to take in as much as possible. And uh, it was a, it was a great year of learning for me. This sounds like a, a radical change of direction, but I, I don't think it is because you talked about the different culture. I want to talk about rivalries. You have been on both sides of the Cardinals and Royals rivalry, but going back even further, as we chatted before we started the recording today, you grew up in the suburbs of Columbus, Ohio, and you attended what, what people in, in Columbus, Ohio say, that school to the north. They won't even say the word Michigan. You attended Michigan. You played baseball at Michigan growing up in Ohio. Just talk about first the reaction to your friends and family. Did anyone disown you? <laughs> what was their reaction you, when you went up there? And then just talk about the rivalry and embracing rivalries. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've given plenty of people plenty of reasons to uh to disown me besides that particular decision um but uh it, that one was actually easy in the fact that I, I wasn't the top recruit there was another local catcher who did end up going to the ohio state university as they like to call it um so that that uh and then i was waiting to see uh, where he was going to go so i could uh go to wherever was left but my first choice was michigan and a couple reasons one um I took a lot of pride in my education and uh, terrific education at the University of Michigan. I knew that. And at the time, it was the powerhouse in the Big Ten. That played along with it as well. But I also um, believed that it was probably time to, to venture out a little bit. And it was time for me to grow up. Uh, I was only 17 when I graduated or when I started college. Uh, but I still knew that I probably wanted to be away from a little bit um, and have a little bit of distance. So with all that being said, uh, Michigan was the right choice. I can say that with confidence. Um, one, and most importantly, that's where I met my bride, um, who was also a Michigan athlete. So I reinforced that that was the right place to be. But I uh, just yeah. had a, a lot of fun with that with that rivalry. Continue to. Unfortunately, uh, most schools' rivalries revolve around football, and it has been very lopsided um, since – Michigan's been getting beat on a consistent basis by Ohio State. My, I've had a daughter go there and and now um, an alum and still getting beat. So I'm looking for tides to turn. But uh, I love the rivalries. I love um, the intensity that fans bring uh, to, to add to an already intense situation. The, the passion that we talked about a little earlier, that passion is always taken to another level. Uh, when that team in red comes over to play us at Kaufman, you can see the fans are into it. There's a bunch to red there and same vice versa there's blue and uh, you, you get into bush stadium and that just creates a better atmosphere i think for everybody as a player and now as a manager do, do the rivalries mean anything to you or once the once the first pitch is thrown it's the other team and it doesn't matter what color uniform they were yeah I, um you know i'm always preaching to our guys just play the game the same way all the time and that and 
in theory is right. Um, but the humanistic side is you cannot uh, take away from the fact um, that you feed off the excitement of the fan base. It's just, it's truth. And with that being said, um, you, you tend to see, uh, just because of how much fun it is, um, you, you see uh, and sense the excitement level from the fans, and it just it makes the experience even better for us. Just like, you know, a year ago, uh, we were talking about, you know, it wasn't that big deal uh, not having any fans in the stands. Um, and, and that was the only choice we had, and we definitely need to make the most of it for the sake of the game and for the good of our players. But in reality, that was that was tough um, because the fans are the heartbeat of what we do at this level. You know, I think the passion for the game, and I'm, I'm speaking of passion, you know, when we start talking about youth sports, to me, uh, that's not necessarily about parents and fans. It's about falling in love with the game. And, and uh, deep down, that's really what I hope our guys uh, do, regardless of the fans. But once you've been in that situation, just like I try to explain to all of our young players, you wait till you guys experience October baseball. It's because it's a different, it's a different atmosphere. Uh, there's an excitement level that uh, you see people, the stakes are higher. Uh, if that's possible. And it's just, a, it's an atmosphere that's um, it's intoxicating and it's something that you can't wait to be a part of again. And I'm going to change the order of my questions because you just kind of transitioned into that. There are plenty of comparisons to the Royals of the early, uh, early part of the last decade with your current team. There was a core of pl young players who came through the minors together and built that camaraderie that helped them deal with struggle, struggles at the big league level I know you don't want to place unfair expectations on your young club, but do you see the similarities? You saw the you saw the you know the early to mid two thousand tens from a from a distance, but do you see similarities in that? Yeah, you know, I, I saw from a distance, as you said, um, and I was able to, to witness how. Uh, and I, I remember there being a time where I, I thought it was unfair having to play against the Kansas City Royals, um, when you know one game is probably going to decide whether or not you're going to be in the postseason. And we were 14-15 playing against the best team in the AL Central. And uh, that playing those inter interleague games, I was always whining and complaining about that because it was such a, such a tough team to beat. So I, I saw um, – I actually remember watching Moose as I was a roving catching instructor, uh, watching him in double A. I knew that he was on the way, and I watched Haas and – you knew that those guys were going to be a part of something big and uh, they were and uh, to watch that team transform into a championship club to see a, a team like the Royals be able to do what they did uh, was uh, was impressive to watch from the outside. And I hope uh, that our guys are, are seeing the similarities also and preparing to make a, a good long run just like. Them. So you do see similarities. You see some of the young guys, the, uh, the Prados and the Bobby Witt juniors and the Melendez and the young guys that are already with the big league club, you see some of that similarity? Just the youth and knowing that uh, a lot of that had to do with the maturing. And, but there's a, there's a learning curve and there's some uh, tough lessons that, that are learned along the way that can only happen through struggles. And so watched a little bit of that with our pitchers this year. Um, I'm, certain, I'm certain we're going to see some of the same with our position players. That's just part of the game. It's just not easy uh, to make that transition from the lower levels, no matter what level it is, whether it's AAA to the big leagues. Uh, and then that sophomore year, we have a couple of pitchers that are going to be walking into that next year, which is going to be the new set of challenges. So uh, we know that those are real, but we also know it's part of how great teams and great players get to the point of sustained success, which is the goal of our club. So 
if you can summarize it in a paragraph, what does what does your current club have to do? And I'm talking about your 40 man roster have to do to reach the success of the 14 and 15 Royals. Yeah, I mean, you can have the greatest team uh, in history, um, but there's still a lot of outside things that have to happen. The team has to come together. Um, that culture that we talk about needs to continue to develop. Um, but the players just need to continue to improve. And that's, that's we all need to improve. And uh, not just the players, the staff, the front office, um, let's take a step forward in the right direction. And that's something that uh, we've been, I believe, taking good steps towards, but there's still work to be done. It's interesting, Mike. Much of the hoopla coming into this past season was the big four, the four players, four pitchers taken in the first round of the 2018 draft. And they obviously all have different talents and they all had, you know, times of success and some struggles. But I think you're the best young pitcher in the 2021 season may have been Carlos Hernandez. Were you surprised by how much success he had this past season? I was just surprised at how much he improved um, and how many different things we threw at him and uh, his um, his ability to make quick adjustments. There were a number of things that we threw at him that take a, take a player a while sometimes to, to be able to pick up. But Carlos was on top of trying to get at some of the things that he would see or we would see as a potential weakness or something getting in his way. And uh, his athleticism for as big as he is, his adaptability, but more than anything, um, Carlos grew up as a man. And I, I know that's getting what most people say way off topic here. We're talking baseball. Uh, not for me. Um, and and uh, I think organizationally, the, the message is consistent. We're trying to help these players grow and improve holistically as men as well as players. But watching Carlos uh, make some huge adjustments and, and how he just went about his life uh, as a professional and uh, just proud of, of Carlos um, in so many different ways and uh, excited to see how he continues to improve because I would say without question, uh, he finished that season like an ace. It, it, it's interesting. The one thing that, that jumps to mind, I'm sure you can pinpoint a lot of them. It, and Ryan talked about this on the, you know, on the t broadcast when, when I'd watch uh, away games is that you guys talked to him about leaving the mound after every pitch and you, you, it says, he said, you mentioned it to him, you know, once and he changed that, you know, I know baseball is a game of, of habits and he changed that so quickly. Is he, is he one of your more teachable players too? I think so. Um, just uh, being open that there might be a different way to do something. And for us as a staff, it's very important that we have a good why. Uh, going to spring training, every drill, there's got to be a good wire. We're not going to ask you to do it. And the why with Carlos was he was getting worn out and he was truly adding hundreds of steps, which each step is exerting more energy. How can we keep you strong so that you can pitch deeper into the game? Same way uh, we had a, a word. It was a taca, which is basically attack in Spanish to where he was um, doing what a lot of our young players would do. Uh, they were uh, trying to pitch away from contact because they just didn't trust their stuff. I've said that thousands of times yeah. in our interviews, but it, it, it struck Carlos and uh, okay, what do I need to do? And explained what attacking the strike zone looked like and mentality as well as how he used stuff. And there was a, a radical transition, just like how he shortened up and sped up his tempo by staying on the dirt and not walking halfway to home plate. He started to adjust. And so when you see that, um, Yes, teachability, but I also think uh, it's competency. 
And uh, I, I love watching some of our, our Latin players just show um, their their baseball IQ and, and their even their emotional IQ to separate what we're saying that we're not attacking them. Um, we're not putting them down. We're trying to give them something that might work. Give it a shot. And he's been very open to giving it a shot. And our pitching coaches have done a phenomenal job with and, and Salvi's in that group as well. Of really helping Carlos make the proper uh, uh, attempts at what he needs to alter um, and not giving him too much. But so far, he's handled everything that's been given to him. All right, I'm going to ask you a really open-ended question. <laughs> so you can go whatever direction you want with this. What are you most looking forward to in 2022? Uh, winning. And that's, that's what we signed up for. We signed up to win. And, um, you know, I, I don't talk about winning with our club. I talk about the process um, and, the, and the natural byproduct of the process going in the right direction is, is us being able to, to slap high fives and, uh, uh, at the end of a game. And um, I, I just treasure every single one of those. You know, life's bigger than baseball. I get it. Life's bigger and winning baseball games, but um, it's what we're paid to do. And uh, how can we bring uh, more joy to this community and this fan base um, by going about our, our business in a way where uh, we're getting better and getting closer to having the consistent kind of re results that we want. That's something that I look forward to. I'm, I'm friends with Bill Snyder, who's the legendary football coach at K-State. And when he first turned the program, qualified for a bowl game after the 93 season, I actually did a book on K-State's program. And, and he's, he said, be careful that you don't say that we want to be a top 25 team. We want to be a top 25 program. We want to be one of the leaders each year. I'm guessing that you're following that same thing. You don't want to, you don't want to win 100 games next year and advance to the playoffs and then the following year go back to 70 and 92 or whatever the case may be. You want, is it safe to say that you'd, you'd accept 90 and 72 if knowing that the next year was going to be 95 and 67 or whatever, rather, rather than that 102 and 60 or whatever. Is that, is that fair? Um, you know, I, I get where coach is going and uh, yeah, I, I believe in 100% support. And the sustained success, that's something Mr. John Sherman and our ownership groups are very, very clear about is uh, we, we want to build something here that's uh, that's going to last and it's going to continue. I, I, I told the guys at the end of the season, I want to be that team that people all over the country outside of KC, they're sick and tired of seeing us in the postseason. I want to be that team. Um, they want to see somebody new and fresh because they're tired of watching us win. That's, that's who I want to be. But with that, um, whether I'm happy or not with the results of our club, um, I, I always keep going back uh, to the greatest influence I ever had. Never was honored enough to meet um, uh, Coach Wooden. But it, it, it is about did we go about our business in a way where we gave everything that we had, uh, that we got the most from the talent that we had. We continued to, to work the right way, compete the right way, and treat people the right way. Um, he didn't say it exactly like that, but his gist was uh, we, can be, we can be satisfied when we know that we've got nothing left to give. And that goes back to why I said I love the team as much as one of your first questions, David, about why I said so much, uh, how much I, I like this team is because I believe this group truly did um, most of those things that we just talked about. And um, there's room for growth always. And it's this, as Coach Wooden would put it, it's this pursuit of perfection, knowing that 
perfection is not attainable, um, right. but the pursuit of it is. And when, when we know that we're just pushing like that and grinding and fighting and going about the right way and treating each other right, that to me um, is, the right, is the right goal. And I, I just can't help but say, like Coach would say, that the, the natural byproduct is going to be wins and there's going to be championships. And if we buy into this and guys buy into it, make the most of what we have, I believe the sustained success is going to be there. That's a great answer, Mike. And I also had the privilege of getting to know Coach Wooden. I was in his house. Um, I did a book on UCLA basketball and I was in, in his house uh, three days after the earthquake in 1989 in San Francisco. And we spent a half hour talking about the earthquake and we spent a half hour talking about basketball and we spent two hours talking about our shared faith. That, wow. You know, and I used to call him every year on his birthday. And, you know, I don't know if you ever played, can you top this? But I, I'm, I'm pretty good at it because when people talk about who they know, I look up on my phone and hold up, you know, my phone has Coach Wooden's phone number. I haven't deleted that. He's been gone for 13 years, but I still keep it in there. Say, yeah, I, I knew him well enough to have his home phone number. Yep, that's a, that's a, that's a topper. <laughs> I want to uh, kind of wind this down a little bit with a couple of general questions. What's the best part of being a major league manager? Yeah, I think it's um, being surrounded by some of the most people on planet earth for what we do and uh, being able to take that group um, and just do your piece. I, I wouldn't I'd never say that uh, it's my responsibility uh, to do anything uh, except just my piece. And my piece is uh, leading, challenging, encouraging these guys uh, to improve and for us to compete and to, to get better each day. And that's, uh, it just hits me in my sweet spot. Uh, I love trying to help people get better. I like learning and try and figure out how to make myself better um, and create an atmosphere where people can thrive. And uh, to be able to do that in a beautiful stadium surrounded by um, fans that just love watching what we do. I mean, how could you ask for anything better than that? Yeah, that's, that's great. It, I always like to wrap up with, with two things. First of all, give, give my guests an opportunity to talk about their family. I know you're a family man. You've got kids. You've now got grandkids. I got three granddaughters. There is nothing better. I can be having the worst day possible. One of those granddaughters runs through the front door and my day is perfect. So we, I always like to give people a chance to talk about their family because in your role, people see Mike Matheny, the manager, and they see your interaction with your players. And I know they're part of part of the family, but talk about your, your actual family and what they mean to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, it goes without saying that, uh, they're my priority, um, right, right below uh, my faith. My faith is my uh, faith in Jesus Christ is my first and foremost priority in life. Um, so when people ask me about my priorities, they, they get the truth. So that's, uh, that's where that starts. And next is my family. And, Thirdly, is, is uh, this game, but uh, unfortunately, the amount of time spent during the season doesn't um, really go hand in hand with how much time is given to each of those priorities. So, try to stay plugged in, and my faith is when I'm away from the field, even at the hotels, uh, keep people plugged in that are trying to help me grow. And then, secondly, um, and what I ask my my family is to to once again be an honest evaluator and and my present when I'm home. Uh, whether it's in the season, but definitely uh, when the season's over. Right now, well, I'm down in South Florida with my bride, um, and uh, we've been married going on 29 years, and I've uh, been very blessed uh, to be able to uh, 
be able to make a, a marriage work in this business uh, because there's a lot of time away. You have to have an understanding family. And she, uh, she's such a great support, uh, but also the kids have just understood it from day one, but uh, they've um, I've given them the opportunity to, to let me know um, if there are things that I need to go about my business differently and how uh, I can uh, make sure they feel like they're priorities and it's a it's about being present when i am there but so giving time when we can and so the off season um i dive in try to get involved in their lives we have five kids four boys one girl um we're almost empty nest the last one uh, was in chiropractic school which will be a couple more years um the others uh, three of them are, are married now and um they're all getting on with life and uh we have um we have our fourth our fourth grandbaby on the way uh, we do in January. And so just a uh, blessed um, and look forward to being a part of their life, but also just honored that uh, they've been able to experience uh, some of this cool road, uh, this, this trail that we're on in baseball. And uh, there's no guarantee that it'll last another day. Uh, as I look at the league averages as a player and as a manager, um, I realize how blessed I've been and uh, just want, I want to make it worth it. I want to make it worth it uh, to the family, but also want to make sure that there's some sort of imprint, some sort of impact that's made uh, on the lives of people and uh, not just on wins and losses. You've kind of answered my last question, but I, you know, just for the sake, if I ever put a collage, a video collage together, I want to be able to ask it. So I'll ask the question and you can go whatever direction. What is your legacy? Um, well, I, I don't think we define that. I think it's the people uh, who we've lived life around are the ones that um, determine what that legacy is. Um, uh, I know how I define it. It's, uh, you know, how will I be remembered? And I think that's a great question to ask ourselves um, routinely. Uh, as uh, you know, how, are, how are the decisions I'm making right now impacting how I'm going to be remembered. And so hopefully uh, be remembered as somebody that, uh, first of all, cared. Um, and uh, I'm not ashamed to say it, um, that loved people and uh, loved people first and foremost, put into my care and trusted into me like my family. And secondly, uh, the ones that I, I get to do life with who uh, involuntarily uh, signed up by uh, being on a team that I've been able to uh, coach um, or just uh, people that I've been able to make friends, friendships with. So uh, that's uh, my hope is it's a, it's a life where I've been a, a giver, not a taker, uh, in that I've, I've added value to people's lives and um, treated people fairly. And you know, if, if you can go about life and say that you've checked some of those boxes, I think it's a, a life well lived. All right. Well, great answer. Exactly what I expected, but a great answer, Mike. I, I appreciate the time very much. Good to catch up with you. Glad that you're getting some sun and some rest and relax, relaxation. And I'm looking forward to next season. I think it's going to be a special year for the Royals, and I'm glad you're part of you know you're part of the leadership of it. Thank you, David. I'm looking forward to it too. I'm I'm recharged. I'm ready to go. We just got a little while to wait. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.